Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 8. The last time the message was titled, Know Yourself, and whether we're talking about spiritual things or even secular things, there's just some things that they transcend both spiritual and just your everyday life. Um, know yourself. I mean, it's just a very important thing, but we're going to see what the Apostle Paul meant by that. Um, this morning, we're going to, the message is titled, Got Spirit kind of like the takeoff on got milk. (laughs) So it's obviously much more important to have the spirit because the spirit, again, transcends body, soul, um, spirit. And uh, it's something that helps us to to have a relationship with God, to be in the faith, to for salvation. And a lot of people ask the question, you know, I think the Holy Spirit out of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, he's probably the least understood of all the, the persons of the Godhead. So, you know, what is the Holy Spirit? What is the Spirit? What does it mean to be spiritual? Uh, what's the difference between God's Spirit and my Spirit? So these questions we're going to kind of hit uh, this morning, and I'm only going to go through 11 verses. This is a very powerful chapter, and I don't want to rush it, and I just want to take a little bite right now because there's a lot in that bite. So in Romans 8, we're going to jump in, verse 1, right off the bat. He says, now remember, this is one continuous letter written to the Roman Christians, and he makes these points, and he says, therefore, right, it's, he's, he's kind of bringing you here from where he just was, so it's important to get every message so you can keep up. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So first out of four points is no condemnations, no strings attached, no conditions. This is the good news, that there's no condemnation. So if God is a God of justice and he judges sins, then why is there no condemnation for us just because we believed in Jesus? The answer is because Jesus already took on the condemnation for the unrighteousness of sin on the cross. And when you believe in him, he's already paid the the price. In our jurisprudence, we have a term called, you know, that you can't have double jeopardy. You can't be charged for the same uh, crime twice, and that comes from the Scripture. So there's no double jeopardy. Christ already paid the penalty. He was already condemned so that we don't have to be contemned. So now I'm going to go into two minutes because I, when I teach up here, I have my Bible students. You know, we do apologetics, we do debate, and we do uh, paleography, which is the study of ancient texts. So I'm going to kind of go into, and those of you who've been around for a while know your word and do study a little bit deeper, um, you'll find and you'll know that the early manuscripts did not have the second part of the verse. It had, there is therefore no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus, period. It, it doesn't have who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So why do I bring this up? You know, if I, if I debate an atheist or uh, somebody who's highly educated and they come back at me, I have my answers because I've done my research. Um, very interestingly enough, the ESV, which a lot of people like, I like that version too, right? We use the New King, New King James Version for uniformity, but the ESV, the NIV, the RSV, as, lo- as well as the early manuscripts don't have that. 
Um, some believe that this was a form of what's called ditography. Ditography. Uh, and I've experienced ditography when I put my notes together. You're studying something, you're reading the same thing over and over again. It's a point that's made continuously, and you ended up putting it in twice. Sometimes I have to double-check my notes before I come up here, so I'm not repeating myself. So ditography, it's in, it's in verse 4. There's, a, there's a, an idea that it might have been put in um, verse 1 as well. It doesn't change the scripture, doesn't add to the word, doesn't change the gospel message at all. But these are things I believe we should know. Um, another thing that the uh, translators did, and this was a perfectly legitimate thing, you know, Hebrew scholars, Greek, Greek scholars, they would put in what's called parenthetical statements. So in other words, where the original language would lack clarification, and you usually see this, I have a study Bible, and when it, wherever it's italicized, that wasn't in the, in the original language, but the Hebrew or the Greek was choppy, and you read it, you, you don't understand it, so they, they kind of helped you out a little bit. Perfectly legitimate. A lot of paraphrase versions of the scripture do this. All good stuff. Uh, so there's nothing nefarious in here. Uh, England, English is very superfluous or wordy when it comes to uh, explaining things. And as English speakers here, when you go from Greek, Greeks understood Greek, but the translators would kind of help it along. So I'll put that to bed. Uh, if anybody asked that question, you have your answer now. Right. So, but what does this mean pragmatically? No condemnation, no conditions. Now, this is important because if we're really Christians, and I have a literary major in the back who we have discussions about works, you know, different works that we read, literary works, there's a different level when it comes to the scripture. If we're reading the Bible and we're just reading it as a literary work, we're missing something. We can pick it apart. We can look at the, you know, the original manuscripts. We can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that stuff. But if we're not getting the message of God's love to us, we're not getting the gospel message, we're completely missing something. I had a friend when I was young. I had a few friends. <laughs> but, so his name was Tony. And Tony and I hadn't seen each other for years. A decade or two passes. I'm a pretty new Christian. I meet Tony again. And I'm trying to share with him God. And he says, well, I've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I said, awesome. I said, you're a brother in the Lord. He goes, no, nah, I never made that leap. I'm like, dude, how could you read? He read more of the scripture than some Christians read because he was reading it as a literary work. He, did not, he resisted the Holy Spirit's prompting, and I did witness to him, but I actually was shocked that he read the entire Bible and hadn't come to the realization of God's love and salvation. He really didn't even have a good answer, but it's just, I think his heart was hard. So it's very, very important when we read the scripture that we absorb it and we apply it to our lives. So when we talk about no condemnation, here's a, a good application. Judgmental Christians. We've spoke about legalistic Christians. If they're really reading the Bible and really taking it to a level of a communication with God, they've got to stop judging other people. Because if God's not condemning us, why are we condemning each other? That's the biggest problem in the Christian culture, I think, is judgmentalism. The other thing is, here's another one, is that there are believers that I know that judge themselves. Like they just, it's so sad. Like God has forgiven them, but they can't forgive themselves. And if you're doing that, just release that. Let yourself go because God has not condemned you if you're in Christ. So if God hasn't condemned you, don't condemn yourself. We're going to continue. Verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, that in it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness is the key word. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And those early manuscripts, that is there in the, in the fourth verse. No issues with that. So we continue. The second part is that the spirit delivers us from the power of the flesh, of sin, of death. Now, there's laws of physics. There's laws of the physical universe. You might say, I hate gravity. But if you're on a roof and you step off of it and you say you hate gravity and don't believe in it, you're going to find out really quickly that it exists and there's implications to gravity. There's also spiritual laws that exist. God created everything. And like he put laws into effect in the physical universe, he's also put spiritual laws into effect. So the law of sin and death says that the soul that sins will die. Now we know this is true because... Cemetery plots and funerals and life insurance is a multi-billion dollar industry. We don't know anybody who's lived and, you know, except for Jesus, who's come back. You know, you live long enough, you eventually pass away of something. So the soul that sins dies. The human race has sinned and it dies. The law came to reveal sin but lacked the power to save us from that sin. Why? Because the law was weak through the flesh. Now, this is important, and this is, you know, be complex, a good breakfast in the morning, some carbohydrates, some coffee, maybe. I'm not advocating that, but, you know, when we come to church, in a teaching church, we, we have to, like, open up our mind to really delve deep into some of this. We can read this quick and say the law was weak. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say the law was weak. It says that it was weak through the flesh. What does that mean? That means that if I'm going to, if you ask me, again, am I in the spirit or am I in the flesh? Joe, Bob, Dave, Jane, whatever, right? So basically, if you're asking me, all right, I'm going to challenge you, Pastor Joe, that uh, in 24 hours that you're going to keep the entire law, the Ten Commandments, all the other laws, whether it's thought sins or actual sins, go, do it. Probably in the first hour, I'm going to fail. Right? If I'm in the flesh. Because the law is weak through the flesh, through my flesh. I can't do it. That's why God came. And that's the beautiful thing about who he is. So the law can only condemn sinful flesh. It lacked the power to help sinful flesh. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the law. It just means there's something wrong with us as sinners in the flesh. Right? We can't will keeping the Ten Commandments. Uh, through our flesh and our willpower. It doesn't work like that. So the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is really the trump card that overrules sin and death and is able to save where the law could not. How is it done? The father legally sends the son in the sinful flesh. No, it says in the likeness of sinful flesh. Words are very, very important. Adjectives, descriptors in the scripture. That's why, like, I'm not a fan of saying to somebody, well, you need to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. Nope. You're not going to hear that from me. Read something and meditate on it. Read every word. Ask the Lord to give you guidance. Because we're wasting our time. Like my friend Tony, who knew the, the whole Bible, more than some Christians, but is not, he hasn't given his life to Christ yet. I mean, maybe he has now. I haven't talked to him in a while. We've lost touch. Maybe after this, I'll look him up. I keep saying his name. You know, I won't say his last name, but Tony. <laughs> There's a lot of Tonys in Staten Island, as there were a lot of Joes. Anyway, moving on. 
has nothing to do with the message. So, so what did God do? God condemned sin in the flesh. Now, Christ took the form of a, of a man. But because, remember, the Spirit of God, he's, he's fully God, fully man. It was the Spirit of God that was controlling his mind and everything he did. He's God. So guess what? His flesh did not sin. And he condemned sin, our sin, in his flesh. Completely legal. God couldn't just say he's a God of justice. Well, you know, I really, really love everybody. And I'm just going to wipe this away. There had to be a, he can't go against his justice. He can't go against his laws. So he had to do it through Christ. And Christ had to come take the form of a man. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So going back to verse one, why are we not condemned? Because Christ was already condemned for our sins. Verse 4, I'll read it again. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in Jesus, God's law was fulfilled, and the penalty for breaking sin was satisfied, the propitiation, the justice. Um, but there's more to this. We can fulfill God's law when we're in the Spirit. And I talked last Sunday, I tell you what, 7 and 8 really go together. Chapter 7 and 8. And a few times I was reading in the scripture and I said, this is the part of the scripture where I would label it, God saying, here, let me help you. You just, you're not, you can't do a good job. You're not doing a good job. Like a dad who says, here, let me help you. Let me help you to make this right. And that's what he did by sending Jesus Christ. You guys can't do it. Even as Christians, if we're not in the spirit, we can't you know, challenge each other to fulfill the law like it's some type of dare. We have to be in the spirit to be able to do that, all right? So ironically, the law can't help us to live a righteous life, but the spirit can. Verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. I remember um, many years ago, right out of college, I worked for an insurance company and I guess it was my transitional years, you know, I, I was just lost and I would bring a Bible to work and, and I wasn't saved and I would read it during lunch and and I just would find myself failing over and over again. It just wasn't my time, I guess. And I, I can't completely put my finger on why I wasn't saved back then. But my carnal lifestyle, my carnal mind could not. I couldn't do it. I didn't have the ability to do it. I didn't have, his one word, I didn't have the capacity to do it. I wasn't saved yet. I didn't have a revived spirit. All I had was the mind and I had the flesh. I didn't have the spirit yet. Interesting. You know, looking back at my life, I lived in two different lives. It's amazing. Not a Christian and a Christian. And almost equally, uh, equal amount of years. So it's fascinating. Uh, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? They cannot please God. So three out of four is the contrast between the saved and the unsaved with respect to the focus that their minds are on. Right? The unsaved thinks only of the flesh. And it doesn't mean, and I've said this before, it doesn't mean that people who don't know Jesus are, they're evil, they're murderers, they just, 
don't have a revived spirit, so their mind and their flesh work together. You know, I'm hungry, I have to eat right now. I'm warm, I need to turn on the air conditioner. Those are simple things. But the, the body has appetites, the body has demands. So the person who doesn't know God, who doesn't have, they're not filled with the spirit, they're not born again of the spirit, all they think of, and again, I'll use myself as an example, all day long is, you know, a promotion, the temperature, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I want to sleep. It's just all about me. I didn't kill anybody, I didn't commit any major crimes, right? doesn't matter. I had, my spirit was not alive, it was not revived yet. It's kind of funny, I'm talking about myself as if I was a different, and I was. That guy Joe back there, when he was in his 20s, it's kind of neat. It's a study that I do looking back as if I'm extricated from that person. But I'm, you know, I know now that if I died in that state, I wouldn't have gone to heaven. So he says, when we trust in Jesus Christ, right, as our Lord and Savior, we're sealed with the Spirit. We read that in 2 Corinthians 1.22. There's a lot of neat benefits about believing in Christ. One of them is we're sealed with the Spirit. So now, our communion with God we desire what he, what he desires. We have a mind change. So now we have this other part of us. We had, it was just mind and body. Now there's a spiritual component when we're born again. It doesn't mean well, I have to call myself a born again or I have to call my church a born again. It means what Jesus said, and I'm going to get to that. It doesn't matter what man says and what man thinks and what man puts labels on. It matters about what God thinks and what God taught, and we're going to get to that. So, so the mind is different now. Right? We, we actually desire on a daily basis to please God, but we fail at times, right? We covered that in Romans 7. We're still going to sin. We're in this body of death, the Apostle Paul says. Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but spiritually minded we get eternal life and peace. So immediately we're promised eternal life because Christ was condemned for our sin. So we're exonerated, legal term. And when we die, we have free entrance and passage into the kingdom. No condemnation, no guilt. No shame. We just go right to be with him. Awesome stuff. But we also have peace. Romans 5 tells us we have peace with God. Here it says that if we uh, don't know God and where our spirit is not revived, we're at enmity with God. We can't please God. It doesn't make sense to us. Do we have conflict? Of course we do as Christians. Of course we do. When we were just living before Christ, all we thought about was ourselves and sin. So there was no conflict. I talked about this last Sunday. But now there's conflict. David Guzik said, great quote, and I'm going to add to it. He said, the mind is a strategic battleground where the flesh and the spirit fight. I would add, for dominance. For dominance. The flesh and the spirit war in us. And we decide, as a matter of our will, which one we're going to listen to. If we're in the spirit, we listen to the spirit. If we're not, we do things we shouldn't do and have to ask for forgiveness. So when a Christian comes into my office or wants to counsel with me and they say, I'm a new believer and I have conflict, my response is, welcome to the club. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, and this is cool. I don't say this in a pejorative way, but people come to Christ and they, they're not really sure what it looks like. Um, and they think that, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. Well, I'm not going to have desires for things that I shouldn't and, and all this kind of stuff. And we're still going to, but there's another element now to us. We have a new nature. So that's the blessing. And we can live in the spirit if we decide to. 
Again, the unsafe person, they're at enmity with God. They can't please God. They're not subject to his laws, nor can they be because they have no capacity. I was thinking about this and I thought to myself, so what is, what are, what are we talking about here in Romans 8? You know, and I thought to myself, well, people say, and it's true, God is a holy, righteous, perfect God. And mankind as a human race has fallen into sin, into chaos, different levels. Some people sin more than another, but it doesn't matter. It only takes one to break that chain, right? And separate us eternally from God. So there's this chasm between sinful mankind and and a holy and righteous God. And people say, well, the cross kind of, to use an imagery or a parable, it kind of came and it bridged it so that we could get to God. But let me add this too, as a matter of theory, as a matter of um, specifics, that in my mind I thought that the spirit, you know, you have me who's uh, mind and body and you have God who's, what does Jesus say? God is spirit. We're very dissimilar beings. You know, we're as far as the east is from the west. How does that, how does that physically or how does that actually strike that actually get bridged and that bridge is with the spirit because when we're born again of the spirit our spirit is revived we're alive now you know we think of god we commune with god and and that kind of bridges the two of us two very dissimilar beings i want to read to you if you would turn to john 3 john 3 this is amazing. <laughs> the whole Bible's amazing. Um, so Jesus is, I guess it's evening, and there's a, a really high order of rabbi, religious leader. Everybody knew who these guys were. He comes to Jesus at night, as some of the religious leaders did, because they, the miracles and the raising of the dead, they were just blown away. If their hearts weren't hard, they wanted to know more from Jesus. So this guy Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and He's trying to understand Jesus. You know, if I could paraphrase, you know, a lot of my, um, my professional uh, comrades don't really buy into this thing of who you are, but nobody can do these signs unless you're from God. You know, Jesus, tell us more. So in verse 3, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, now remember, for 2,000 years of Christianity, Bible commentaries, studies, blah, 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 we, we, we get this, Nicodemus didn't, but remember, this was before all that stuff. So he, Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, this guy's a, a very educated man. He's, he doesn't get it. He goes, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, what gives? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one... Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What does this indicate? It means that God gave us free will. He set us free, every single person on the planet. As free moral agents, I have one of my college students in here was, um, he was interviewing me about a religion course. It was great. We had a great discussion. I said, for some of those questions, just wait till the message. I'm going to start answering some of them there. But so he sends us out there as free moral agents. But he says, you must be born again. Meaning it's incumbent upon us to, God has already reached out to us. You know, we're to reach back. We're to consider it. We're consider God. We're consider where we're going to spend eternity. 
You must be, Jesus said. Jesus doesn't say, I hope you get born again, or I don't know, if God really favors you, you might be born again. He goes, you must be born again. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus was the master of parables. He made everything. He made us. He made our lives. He made the, um, the natural world, the animals. And so he oftentimes would take parables and say, listen, look at it this way. You know, where I live, sometimes there's a windy day. We have a lot of trees. And maybe I don't hear the wind, but I look through my glass window in the, in the kitchen, and I can see the branches swaying back and forth. I can see the leaves on, on a circuit, and they go this way, then they go that way. And I just think of what Jesus said. You can't see the wind. You can see what it's doing to the leaves and people's hair and all that kind of stuff. You can see the results of the wind, but you can't see the wind. It's the same thing about being born again of the Spirit of God. When a person accepts Christ into their life, something happens. Is that you, Lord? <laughs> it's all good. Where was I? So basically, basically... The Spirit of God, you know, God has reached out to us. He sent his Son into the world to die for our sins. We respond to that, right? And we, with an act of our will, we want him. We trust in what he did on the cross. And then 2 Corinthians one we're sealed with the Spirit of God. It's an amazing thing. Now, again, the wind. I can look back 20-something years and say, well, I know I'm saved. Can you... Can you ask me, Pastor Joe, well, what was the exact day, minute, hour? I cannot tell you. But I can tell you that I have received Jesus. And, and the, what he's done in my life, if you ask me while I was unsaved, you'll be a pastor one day, I'd be like, you're nuts. So here I am. But this is, this is what the Lord is talking about. Born again of the Spirit. He doesn't say, I'm going to revive your skin and make you look 20 years younger. He doesn't say, I'm going to make your brain work like Einstein. He doesn't say that. He says the, the important part is the spirit part of you, body, mind, and spirit. And then the spirit starts to change everything else. Amen? We still die. Oh, God broke his... No, he didn't. He didn't. That's all going to change one day too. 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies are going to be revived and they're, going to be, they're never going to die. This new environment with the new heaven and earth. But right now, there is a part of us living in us, a part of who we are that's eternal if we've trusted Christ as our Savior. So good stuff there. I'm going to just say this. You know, some, some come into this church, and, you know, we're a community church where Jamesburg is very active. You know, some come into this church, and they, they come, and they're interested, and some of the things pique their curiosity. Jesus said you must be born again. We're going to give you an opportunity. It's not tied to money or signing anything. We don't do that. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. But Sunday after Sunday, people come and people go, and they don't receive Christ. Well, I'm not attacking or anything, because that was me for many years. And I thought to myself, I should have done this sooner. What took me so long? You know, so it's probably the fear of the unknown. But there's, there's knowing something, and then there's having faith. We're going to have to trust God on some of these things. Verse 9, we continue in Romans. Verse 9. Eventually I'll get there. He says, 9 through 11, 
But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. He is not God's. You know, people fool themselves. They get involved in in cults. They get involved in feel-good things and, you know, self-help and Self-help is good, but that's not going to get you to God. You have to have the spirit of Christ. He's saying that right here. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This stuff can be pretty heavy, but last part is be encouraged in the power of the Spirit in your life. You have the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you in the Spirit? What does that all mean? Especially for new believers. Pastor Joe, I don't, this is new to me. I'm, I'm, I know I'm different. I'm, I, I know that God is answering me. I know that God is leading me, but I, don't, I can't put my finger on everything, and that's okay. That's why Jesus says, folks, you must be born again like a baby. That's why the Apostle Paul says that we grow as Christians like the milk of the word and then the meat of the word. These incredible analogies, it's it's literally like you're being born again, born like you were born, but instead of being a little infant, you're born in the spirit and you start to grow in the spirit. That's exciting. Trust me, the first few years, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) You know, there was even times where I thought, did I lose my salvation? It's just, it's okay, right? Just keep reading the scripture, keep praying, keep learning. Um, So we continue. Do we ask for the Holy Spirit? Jesus said we could, right? You know, a a lot of Christians ask for a lot of things. But are we asking for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? God will give it to us, him to us. That's what Jesus says. You, there's, there's Greek prepositions. We can get into the whole Greek thing. You know, and, you know, spirit is in you, para. The spirit is like next to you and with you. The spirit is a P upon you. Um, we talk about the fruit of the spirit. When we are in the spirit, we start exhibiting these things, love, joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. And, and maybe we look back at our old life and say, wow, I am different. Even if, you, even if on some of those areas you're starting to improve, that's an awesome thing. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. We have the power to choose to be mediocre in the Christian culture or spirit-filled Christians. What does that look like? I mean, if you go on, and this is, here's the danger, and I say this to people who are new Christians. They go on the Internet and they find all this stuff. Be careful of that because some, there's some weird things out there. I mean, is being filled with the Spirit, some would have you believe, if you watch some of these videos, that it's mania. Mania, um, feelings. Uh, if you actually punch in the new apostolic reformation and put that heresy into your uh, search engine, you're going to see some weird things. You're going to see people mosh-pitting in the Spirit, like they're literally assaulting each other. You're going to see... Uh, some convulsing in the spirit as if the spirit took a hold of them and, and they start convulsing and falling on the floor. And is, where is that in the scripture? Where's the edification value of that? That's why I say the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. Because people do a lot of weird things and say, oh, it's I was in the spirit. So you can put that in your search engine. We have, they say, we have new revelations. You know, we know that the Bible's there, but there's some new revelations here. So did the Jehovah Witness and the Mormons. 
We have real spirituality here that you're not getting in your church. You, uh, and, and don't question our apostles because they're anointed by God. Okay, show me that word. It says that in the scripture. People question us here all the time, and we answer. We just, people want to know, and we answer those questions. No big deal. Be careful, because that can set you up for an experience that's not of God, but it's feelings-oriented. Now, Revelation tells us that there will be a false trinity of Satan, right? The Antichrist and his false prophet, Okay, let's, let's just do it this way. Let's put it up to 2019. Satan, he's always been Satan. A globalist who's going to come and unite everybody. False peace. And a great ecumenical religious leader who's going to start uniting all the religions. And a lot of that's going to be done outside of the word of God. When you can do uh, subjective things like uh, flop around like a fish in the spirit and do different things... You can bring everybody together. You don't have to worry about the word of God. And there you have your ecumenical movement. So think about that. People today are being set up for the false church that will be on the earth when the Lord comes and removes his believers before the great revelation judgment. So keep that in mind. You have to steal your mind. You have to guard your mind. You have to guard your heart when it comes to some of these things. You have to vet it. Being in the spirit is not necessarily a feeling. It's not necessarily the chills or an adrenaline rush. Spirit-led worship is not necessarily a Christian rock concert, which a lot of people flock to. The Spirit can prompt us to do something we really don't want to do. You realize that? You know what a lot of people say? They have an idea. It feeds their flesh. They want to do it. And they go, I prayed about it. Okay, you prayed about it. How long? I just prayed about it. Did you get an answer or you just pray about it? That's a way of saying, don't question me. This is what I want to do, and God is going to go along with it. When we're in the Spirit, the Spirit can prompt us to do things that are inconvenient to us. The Spirit can prompt us to do things that put us as a, in the background and as a servant, not in front of everybody. In the Spirit, we can do things, and after that, we're not liked by our peer group. Oh, that wasn't of God. Really? Maybe your peer group is fleshy. Maybe God wants to bring you to the next level. So understand what is the Spirit and what's nece- not necessarily the Spirit. The Spirit, their promptings may not be good at all. What about the persecuted church in Syria and Africa and parts of Asia? When they come knocking on the door and they say, deny Jesus Christ. It doesn't feel good to get arrested by the authorities and be wrenched from your family. Oh, I, I just prayed about it and everything's fine. The American church is subject to deception because we have so much excess here. People who call themselves Christians in Syria are really, and if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. I'm not saying that, but the ones that call themselves Christians in Syria, when ISIS comes through, they're they're the real deal. And the reason being is because if you're not really a Christian, you're going to say, well, whatever you say, I'll convert to Islam, I'll do this, whatever it is, don't hurt me. Okay? So, Don't look at the American dream and tie it to what the Bible says. We have to extricate them. I love the American dream. I'm patriotic. But what is spiritual versus what is feelings and carnal carnality and, and, you know, fleshly oriented? Very, very important. Amen. (laughs) Verse nine. Let's just take these step by step and then we'll close. He says, but you speaking of believers, 
You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You are or you aren't. 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. We have an inverse relationship. Before we're saved, mind and body going going down. You know, I, and I don't know when it is. I guess you could talk to a biologist. It's actually very fascinating where the, uh, the mitosis of the cells of a, of a baby in the womb uh, starts, they start to replicate and, and the baby is such a neat thing to watch in the womb. The baby starts to grow and their spinal cord is developed and the heart is beating and all this really neat stuff. And the baby's born. I don't know if it's uh, upon conception, we've got to do a little research there, or if it's upon birth. Then what starts to happen is, uh, it's your happy message for this morning, we start to die. <laughs> so, sorry, um, I'm not a feel-good preacher. So when the baby comes out, when I came out as a baby, I grew physically, but I was moving towards a progression of death. I don't know what my days are. Is it 60? Is it 70? Is it 90? I don't know. But I'm, I'm going down. When I became born again, my spirit was revived. So what's, what's happening now is it's a weird inverse relationship where my, my body's going towards the ash heap, speak for me personally, but my spirit is eternal. And one day my body's going to die, but my spirit is going to live forever. And you too. Pretty interesting, isn't it? So there's like this inverse relationship going on. Verse 11, I'll leave you with this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And again, there will be a day, 1 Corinthians 15, that the believer's body will be, uh, God will remake it. He made it from the dust of the earth pretty much. So he'll do it again. But um, and this is a future occurrence. We'll never die. You know, we'll always have these incredible... You read 1 Corinthians 15. It's pretty fascinating. It's the resurrection chapter. Um, but what can we do now? What happens now? He's giving life to our mortal bodies. I'll just use... I'll use food for the soul. I, I can't help it. And we've had long discussions. I have senior citizens, right, running this, this ministry. And it's amazing. You think, well, they minister to people on Fridays and they give them food and they, and they, they give them clothing, all this kind of really neat stuff during the week. I mean, they set up tables, they do physical labor, they go to the food bank, they stock everything by law and, you know, make sure everything's fresh expiration dates. I call them super seniors because what they do is amazing. And they give me the reports of what... So can I tell you something? There's times that I'm so tired, I just want to take a nap. And God does something and he, he encourages me to minister to somebody. And then I, I, when I get done, I'm like, now I really need to take a nap. But he just did something in me that I, I just, it's just an amazing thing. Folks, we have to believe what the scripture says. We have to believe that he could breathe life into our mortal bodies. We have to believe that he wants us to do something supernatural. Dominican Republic, every day they're sending me pictures. They're pouring, these people, they're not builders. They're just like you. <laughs> they're pouring concrete. They're framing stuff. And I'm, I'm just scrolling through these pictures. I'm like, man, this is, you can, you can build my next house. But, um, but it's pretty exciting because God does this through us. I'll just leave you with this. And... and Again, time will tell how transparent I should be from the pulpit, but I had a really crummy week, and I was praying to God, and it was Thursday, and I'm like, you know what, Lord, I just, you got to do something to me, because I, I'm not anywhere with this message, it's a powerful message, I'm not going to do it justice, 
And uh, then I get a phone call Thursday after those torrential rains <laughs> that there's water coming into the kitchen in the church. I'm like, this is the icing on the cake. Now I'm a waterproofer. So, <laughs> you know, and I'm just thinking if you could put up the, um, the image, just a little humor at the end of the, the sermon. <laughs> to keep that up for a minute. So my, we, again, I say we use humor. My VBS people, they're decorating, they're on ladders. I'm like, oh, pray for them that they don't fall. They're decorating the church for the kids in July and stuff, and they're the same thing. They're super people. Um, and they decided that they made a bunch of penguins with, you know, clear plastic bottles, and they must have had too much free time on their hands. And they made, they made three penguin pastors, me, Pastor Vinny, and Pastor Paul, just saying. And I thought to myself, I said to Pastor Paul, can you make them talk and have them fill in for me on Sunday because I'm just, I'm just not having it. Anyway, the moral of the story is that I just had to, you know, I just had to trust God. I had to say, you know what, Lord, and maybe I was trying to do it in my own strength. Maybe I was getting aggravated because of my circumstances. But I'm like, Lord, you, you've got to minister to these people because I'm, I'm nowhere with this message. I kind of started it Friday and finished it Saturday, and I usually don't do that. So, folks, we're going to go more into the Spirit and what the Spirit does for us. And people ask me, joy, peace, how do you have that? Where are you with God? My question is, do you have the Spirit? My second question is, if no, do you want the Spirit? And then my third question is, what's holding you back from receiving the Spirit today? Let's pray. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.